Welcome to the Dividend Talk Podcast, episode 156. The latest about Kenview split off and quarter two in review. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just getting started, Dividend Talk is the place to be for insights, analysis, and unsalted advice on how to make the most of your money through dividends with our own unique European flavor. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and join our community on Facebook at Dividend Talk. See you on the inside. Yo, 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 European DJ. It feels like ages since I spoke to you on the show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing really well. I got a little bit uh, uh, tanned from the sun. Uh, South Europe has done me well. And yeah, we haven't spoken for like three, four weeks, right? Because we were both on holiday. We had some pre-recorded sessions. So this was kind of our summer break. And uh, yeah, fully back again. Uh, Yeah, sorry for, of course, to our listeners for missing out on last episode. Uh, Last weekend was just impossible for us to to get together but other than that i'm doing really good the summer is really good it's a bit too dry i would say in in europe and too hot but for the rest it's uh it's it's, it's just a, a lovely summer how about you yeah i'm sure the irish listeners here are, are cursing you because there's a heat wave all over europe we can see it on the news and when i say it's raining it is nearly hailstones every single day for the last three weeks it's it's actually crazy um, but before that, I was I was on holiday, so I got a couple of weeks of sun. I'm also tanned. I've got a new haircut. I'm, I'm matching there a little bit. I, I shaved my hair off. So it's, um, yeah, it's fun. Hey, it's, it's good to be back, though. I kind of missed it last week. I liked the two weeks off was nice, um, but I was ready for it last week. But I'm certainly ready, ready for this this week. We've got lots. We've got a jam-packed show. We've got lots of earnings. And we've cut it back a little bit. And then we've also got our own portfolios to review as well. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, the fun fact is, right, this is typically a cucumber season, so there's nothing worth mentioning, but uh, I would say in the investment world, you have cu- uh, second quarter earnings always coming in. So that's the nice thing about investing. There's always some news, even during cucumber season. So we don't need to go to the field and uh, pick those nice uh, cucumbers and make pickles out of them. We can actually talk about investing. So tell me, what was in the news this week? So. Couple of things in the news, but probably one of the biggest ones was the results from Johnson Johnson, but also the spin-off Kenview. Um, a lot of people were surprised they did quite well compared to their expectations, and I think they announced the dividend as well. So a lot of people were excited around this company. What What were your thoughts on? It? Well, you know, the first interesting thing, of course, and that was for me the big news, is that they finally gave some clarity on what they will do with Canview. So they, they spun it off. They No, sorry, they already launched it. They still have a stake of 90% or something like that. And there was this question like, will we get shares or not? Yeah, now, um, here's maybe uh, for new listeners um, or for, for people that are relatively new into investing. And I must confess, I also had to look it up again. There is a difference between a split-off and a spin-off. When they do a spin-off, typically you will get some shares into your account. You don't really have influence on that. Uh, you get them into your account and you will see the share price drop from, let's say, Johnson Johnson, uh, about the amount of what the new shares are worth from Canview. And often, often you have like, a, um, let's say, a 10 to 1 or something like that, all depending on, on what the market cap and the, the transaction details are that Johnson Johnson decides on. 
But the split off is something else. A split off means um, here that effectively what uh, Johnson Johnson is, it's going to offer us that we can exchange our Johnson Johnson shares for Canview. So we don't get additional shares like a spin-off uh, where we effectively get to hold both. No, we need to make a choice here. Um, so the, the benefit for this is for from a Johnson Johnson point of view is that there is a lot of tax advantages to that. Also, little cash implication here. Um, so they believe also it's better for shareholders uh, from this point of view. But um, uh, yeah, I generally prefer spin-offs and I want to do my I want to decide myself what I want to do about it at least I'm happy that they are not just spinning it off keeping the cash on the balance sheet and the shareholder didn't see anything from it General Electric was a company that did this uh, when I was holding them uh, but uh, yeah I'm not big I'm not a big fan of split offs I prefer spin offs not split offs just give me the shares I then decide what to do with it whether I hold them or not and with a split off uh, the issue is that I then need to need to decide should I trade my Johnson Johnson, the medtech and the pharma part that is left behind in exchange for the consumer staples? And I, I don't want to be presented with such a choice. Just give it to me and then I decide whether I sell it or not. That's much easier for me as a shareholder. Yeah. Yeah. When you almost read it, it looks like that it's a typo because I haven't seen split off on it before. So it was it was interesting to actually come across that. And then with that choice, I mean, look. It's probably a no-brainer because Johnson Johnson also released their earnings, and this time MedTech was on fire, as you posted on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. So that was surprising to me, right? MedTech was not doing so well uh, over the over the last few years, and the same applies to Medtronic. So I'm also really curious to what Medtronic will do, uh, because Medtronic's really needs some uh, improvement in free cash flow. They are getting tight with their dividend payout, but yeah, now. Um, Johnson Johnson did really, 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 really well with the, the MedTech uh, division. Uh, I believe what was it plus nine percent or something like that. So that 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 is just really huge for a company like um, uh, Johnson Johnson. Their sales grew year over year by six point three percent, which shows that they have pricing power. Um, pricing power as well. Earnings went up by approximately nine percent uh, if you take the uh, normal EPS and eight percent if you take the adjusted EPS. And I'm talking here about the quarterly earnings. Yeah. So you know the the share price also shot up, and I, I saw some people that were surprised by it, but I wasn't personally surprised by it. And the reason for that is like Johnson Johnson has been going nowhere really with their earnings over the last few, 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 few two three years. Yeah, so and you saw that back in its valuation as well because it was all the time trading around the 2.8 to 3% yield for a high quality company in this environment where stocks are generally overpriced. That's not a high multiple, uh, uh, also what you're paying there. So now it's uh, now it's showing growth. So yeah, I can imagine that the, the market rewards that pretty well. And and yeah, for me, it's like it's uh, it's good to see this, it's good to see that also pharma is doing uh, okay-ish. I also um, uh, read somewhere that they are making deals, and I forgot the two companies regarding, uh, I believe it was Stellara, and they're, they're, they're the biosimilars impact. So when I read the earnings free notes um, here, they are making deals with those biosimilars that could really take their revenue away. Uh, and then have extended the factor or protected uh, Johnson Johnson sales till 2025. 
So I don't know how it looks like that. Maybe someone from the industry insider can can share that a little bit uh, with us uh, to educate us. But to me, it sounds like that what Johnson Johnson doing is saying, for instance, to those two companies, like, guys, you know what? I'll pay you this. Probably is a little bit more than the revenue you could earn. Yeah, if you don't, if you withhold with uh, entering your biosimilars on the market, and you know, I get to keep my revenue for the next uh, two years, which is probably much more than what the payment uh, entails to those two biosimilars companies. So that's how I, I understand it. But again, I'm not an industry insider from that point of view, so I would love to hear it from someone else uh, how this works. Um, but yeah, that's one way where you can also see the pharma as a bit dirty, right? Because with this, you're not helping the accessibility to patients that want cheaper pricing. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're helping shareholders, but you're not helping patients. But it's it's sort of a win-win with the way you described it. It's sort of a win-win for both. Johnson Johnson get to keep their, their revenues. And you said those two companies have guaranteed income for these two years. So if they're in the development stage, I don't know how big the companies are, but with guaranteed cash, they could probably develop and, and do a little bit more. So, yeah. so like I'm not 100% sure about if it works like that, right? Yeah, but that's how yeah, I understand it from reading and reading this. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So so the question is, what are you going to do with your shares? Are you going to keep all Johnson Johnson or are you going to split it anyway? Uh, yeah, yeah. And we got this question also from a hobby investor, right? What we think about CanView in general. So I'm keeping my Johnson Johnson shares. I don't want CanView uh, shares. It's a consumer staple that, although they did pretty okay, it's not something that I get excited about. I have already some other consumer staples that I prefer to have more in my portfolio. So at this moment in time, not. You know, there might be a, in the future, maybe one day that I feel like our CanView is a right fit. But at this moment in time, I will not take those shares. I rather keep my Johnson Johnson shares. How about you? Me too. Me too. I, I'm not taking. I'm not taking the split off. I prefer to keep pure, pure medtech Johnson Johnson in, in this case. I have, a, I have enough consumer staples, just just like you. So. Yeah. Good. 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 Okay. So before we dive into any more earnings, we might have a little look back and see how we both did over the last quarter. Um, look, this this quarter is pretty big in terms of European companies, so I expect. Both of us might have done quite similarly, but talk us through your quarter. How did you do? Well, you know, May for me was an amazing month, but also June. Uh, so on average, my net dividend income compared to last year, so dividend after tax, grew on average by 20% year over year. And, and this is just a lot. In April, I actually had a, sh a small decline of 8% that had to do with, you know, dividend payment falling in uh, the first two days of May instead of the last day of uh, uh, April because I, I take the dividend dates when they enter my account, not when they are um, uh, should be paid by, by the broker, uh, sorry, by the company because there's sometimes a few days delay. Yeah. Um, then in May, it was 12.5% uh, more, but in June, it was 59% more. And June was always a weak dividend paying month for me, but it has uh, drastically changed because of, for instance, the acquisition of NN Group in my portfolio, which I didn't own last year around this time. So 20% more is a lot, uh, uh, Derek. It's it's really um, it's really a lot. It's, it's of course also above inflation uh, from that point of view. It's fair to say there has been a lot of cash contributed to get here as well because I continue dollar cost averaging into the market with my salary. What is also nice that from all the 
all the um, money that I invested, 27% was reinvested from dividends. So this is also where you see the power, right? Uh, where I'm, where the the dividend are really contributing to my compounding and my investing at the moment, and and that's a lot because uh, I, you know I'm I'm not disclosing the uh, the absolute numbers uh, here for, for for privacy reasons, but we're talking already about large amounts here. Um, I also sold some shares. I didn't sell all my shares in 3M yet because I'm doing it in a staged approach um, here, but I sold some 3M. I sold also a share of, uh, um, or sorry, a few share. No, I don't know if it's a few shares or share, but I sold some Google and I sold uh, entirely my digital realty trust, digital realty trust. And here I can say I had only like five shares or something like that. So. That was once an initiating position to learn more about the company, but I I, I really don't like this company. Uh, they're like uh, AT and T and Verizon uh, over the for about AT and T and Verizon. There was also, of course, a lot of news because of the leading cap lead cables in the ground that the Wall Street Journal reported on that they can get a lot of uh, potential litigation here. Uh, but generally, AT and T and Verizon, specifically AT and T, I looked at them, and since the mid nineties yeah till now they have not given you any dime in capital appreciation 30 years in the biggest technology boom we have seen in the human race via the internet technology let's say and they are a play in this whole internet technology space by providing the internet to the to people's homes yeah. they've not been able to reward shareholders other than dividends over that time period and that's for me is really flabbergasting and you know that's also why i don't want to own telecom operators neither in europe i don't i don't understand how they are not able to benefit from this and now people are telling me about 5g all the time but with 5g i have exactly the same at&t and verizon are investing in 5g but who is the beneficiary of this google microsoft all the other kinds of internet businesses that get benefited benefits from the quicker speeds yeah because we as consumers we don't want to pay so much for our internet there's competition there between those telecom providers so i, I it's just a poor business in my opinion and for me digital realty trust i'm noticing the same because the whole bull case for me was here like oh the growth of uh data centers yeah with the cloud and everything and the hybrid cloud i thought digital realty trust will do well but their free cash flow or their funds from operations are going nowhere so it tells me that they don't have pricing powers the negotiation is uh, powers on their clients not on digital realty trust so i stepped out of it yeah um uh, here in alpha bet i just sold a little bit because i doubled my position it was part of my growth portfolio so i sold half and let the rest just uh, play with the house's money as i say so uh, all in all, um, the stocks that I uh, bought, I bought two times uh, T-Row price during the quarter. I bought some more CBIS during the quarter. I bought two times realty income during the quarter. I bought some Target. I bought National and Nederlander. I bought ASR and I bought Legal and General. So again, quite some insurance companies plus two uh, real estate companies plus T-Row price. These are all lots of high yielders actually here, but I'm especially proud of my Target. I've been waiting on them for a long time and finally have it yeah um my portfolio um yield went a little bit up from 3.7 points uh, percent to 3.8 percent my portfolio growth when we talk about uh, absolute numbers uh, grew by 3.2 percent um that's not a lot 
uh, compared to last quarter, but has to do with how stocks generally performed in last quarter, plus a little bit the currency um, yeah. uh, decline of 2%. Shell remains my biggest position, although where it was last year almost 9%, it's now 7.5%. And this is what I always mention, like, you know, I, I had some bigger positions in the beginning, but while my portfolio is maturing, I'm getting more and more to these 4%, 3% level as part of my allocation strategy. Just when you're in the early two, three years, it, it, it's hard to do that. And it also makes not a lot of sense to do that. There's just some single stock risk more, of course, when you only have two or three stocks than when you have 50 stocks. I'm now around having 40 something stocks, but still you buy when opportunities arise. But now finally, uh, let's say after um, nine years of investing, I start to see really the diversification kicking in because every time there are some opportunities there. Yeah. Uh, here, and my allocation strategy is really coming more to, into into shape uh, right now. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with that. I think half of my investments this this quarter was with fresh capital deployed. The rest was from dividends and the shares that I sold. So yeah. Happy. I'm very satisfied with my performance and uh, my projected annual dividend income. Um, yeah, it's, it's going into the right direction. It grew 8% uh, uh, in the last quarter, which is a lot, but also, you know, if, when you think about ASR, National and Nelanda, legal in general, those, those, and, and CBUS, those are high yielders. So, yeah. It's, uh, I know it's pretty impressive. What's, what's quite interesting from my standpoint here is that you've made five purchases within the financial sector but it's still not your largest sector holding information technology is still trumping that uh, yeah information technology is uh yeah because of just microsoft and apple i mean with the ai boom they just yeah keep 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 in, uh, increasing my portfolio yeah that's true um you know uh, i always say bankers are wankers uh, i have a little <laughs> bit of a different feeling for um insurance companies although some of them also do a bit of banking and specifically i believe legal in general is of course also an asset manager so but it's for me not the traditional bank like wells fargo and these yeah. kinds of uh, um uh, banks uh, there was one other thing that uh, i wanted to say yeah there's one one thing that i'm that i'm maybe not so happy with to be fully transparent i wanted to invest more in high quality companies yeah the, the, this year that was really for me um a thing but i find that the highest of highest quality companies i i just feel that they are still too much out of reach and the insurance sector how they are what they are trading now was for me an opportunity that that i i just couldn't ignore i'm, I'm laying the foundation now but this is like energy uh, once yeah. this industry starts recovering i will probably not touch it for several uh, maybe several years even yeah yeah so that that's but that's still in my mind uh, yeah. this high quality i'm not happy with because i've written my goals and i'm reviewing my goals often and i'm not satisfied with that one yet yeah but sometimes you have to take what the market is, is giving you as well sometimes that's, yeah exactly that, that is the case I've, I've one question around april um it has negative growth it's the first time i've seen you with negative growth in the three four years we've been doing this yeah yeah that's what i mentioned this was the difference between the dividend payment falling yeah. in the first two days in may versus uh, april and april is a really low dividend payment payment month for me okay nice awesome so you're happy happy overall it's yeah. fairly 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 strong fairly good yeah, progress and it just shows that dollar cost averaging compounding and, and being really consistent just works yeah and, and also to the listeners trust the process just trust the process 
Anyway, how too much about me? How are, how have you been done doing? Hey, so I've had. Do you know what? It's been ex an extremely good quarter for me. Um, I know you don't share numbers, but I I do. I, I, I don't share my blog as much because I don't write, but I don't mind sharing a little bit. But I'll just tell you about my income over the three months. April I hit two hundred and sixty-eight euro a monthly income. May was six hundred and forty-five. That was a record, and then I broke that record in June, which was seven hundred and twenty-nine. Wow! Income. So an average over the three months of five hundred and forty-seven. I remember wow. I, was, I was listening back to one of our earlier episodes, maybe in year one, and I was looking forward to reaching the hundred euro monthly average. And yeah. you know, now I was hitting five hundred. So it's it's quite something to to reach that. But like like I was saying earlier, it is heavy in European companies, so it obviously spreads out throughout the year but that total there that's about 1600 euro that's half of what i earned in the total of all of last year which which is my wow. so in one quarter i've earned half of what i earned all of last year so i'm quite actually chuffed with those those values um if i look at some of the companies that i got dividends from uh, hpq there's wpc there's our hold there's a couple of closed end funds from the UK that I own. Um ATT are still in there to still pay me dividends. Um Blackstone and then obviously our financials we got NN Group, we've got Legal and General, we've got Shell, um, and Walgreens are still chugging along. So there's quite a list. I know you can see the full list here. There's quite a list of companies there that have paid me dividends over three months. So it's quite um inspiring to look back and see those averages move up mm -hmm. over time, I'm I must admit. Um, my portfolio yield, and we discussed this quite a bit, it's always interesting. Mine is nearly double yours. It's not quite double. Um, it sits at 5.54. But I mentioned some high-yielding companies there that I own. And the closed-end funds are typically 6-7% as well. So it, it adds up over, over time. Shell is still hanging in there as my largest company at 8%. I think it's close to the same as yours. Um, financials, you'll be not surprised, is now my largest holding at 27%. Consumer stables wow. is at 23, followed by energy. Um, but I did buy a lot of T. Rowe Price. I did buy a lot of legal and general NN Group. Um, and Chesnar as well, I topped up on them, reinvesting some dividends. So I have been buying some of them. Um, in terms of my buying and selling, so I, I just segregate my buys first and I was like, wow, I bought 13,000 worth of stocks this month. But actually what had happened there is some of the crap that I owned from options, remember I talked about CCL, um, yeah. they finally bounced back and reached the point where I could break even. So I sold them. I got rid of them straight away. Ah. Um, so I'm only holding two more companies from them. Um, so I sold roughly around 7,500 of that and obviously reinvested that into dividend companies. More specifically, I bought Fiji and CRH. It was actually a good time to buy CRH because they've given me a nearly a quarter back uh, already in share prices after going wow. 25%. Wow, because this is a cement company. And, and tell me, I see um, Anagas in there. Yeah, I've been I'm buying... surprised to see that because uh, I was actually looking this week at Anagas thinking like oh, around 15 euros. I've got such a small position. I thought maybe let's double the position. I see it here now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my thinking around Enegas is they have a dividend floor in for the next two to three years. So you, you know what your dividend is. Yeah. The share price, I mean, look, you know, with the Spanish government, 
they sneeze and then the share price goes down. But my fair valuation is around 18 euro. I think 18 euro is fair, 17 to yeah. 18. I think they're trading around 16, 16 yeah, euro. When I bought like that. So yeah. I thought it was a no brainer, just, just topped up. Um, and yeah, I collected dividends from them again as well this, this month. So, um, yeah, I, I still like Enegas and I do really like that they have that dividend flow. So you know what you're getting. And at the moment, I think the dividend yield is 10%. So even if they were cut it, which I don't think they will, um, it still probably give you 6 7%. So it's still still quite a decent yield. So I think the risk to reward is quite quite decent there. Um, just, just to finish off the recap, my total actually invested was 6,000 if I take away the crap that I, I sold. Um, but 4,500 of that was my own cash, and then the remaining 1,500, uh, it's probably 1,600 was the dividends, reinvested dividends that, that I received. Um, my overall dividend income for the first half of the year is two-thirds of the way of my full year last year, so I expect to break last year's numbers by next quarter and then see where we end up at the end of the year, but I'm aiming for around 4,500, that's what I'm hoping for. So, so yeah, um, overall, quite happy with, with how things have, have gone. Um, like you, your comment there actually triggered me when we said high quality, because I think we both spoke about that at the start of the year, and <laughs> not, not a whole lot of high quality. There's a lot of high yielders there, um, a lot of insurance, a lot of financials, and I've also been buying British American tobacco as well, because I think they are, they are fairly valued as well. So, yeah, quality is something I need to to work on but i'm quite happy with most of my purchases i have to say yeah so maybe maybe good to disclose right when i talk about high quality um, i'm of course talking about um, let's say the the louis vuitton of this world and these these kinds of stocks right and maybe even a, a little bit less quality but let's not be mistaken i think that nn group is a really high quality insurance company i think that ASR is a really high quality insurance company i think that tiro price is also a high quality asset manager, right? Um, but I was more thinking about different sectors, maybe in the consumer staple or maybe more those that are my foundation stocks, uh, maybe some more, uh, or maybe an initiation in Nike or something like that. And, and that just, there was no opportunity for me, but I need to go back to this. Uh, for instance, I'm now looking a bit more into Asa Abloy. We'll speak a little bit later about it, but I want some more of those companies. That's what I mean with high quality. Yeah, my, my thoughts are similar, like the likes of Nike, even Johnson Johnson, Microsoft to a certain extent. I haven't bought, I think I bought a couple of shares of Johnson Johnson, but none of Microsoft. Those Even those types of companies would fit into my criteria of quality, um, which as you can see are not on my list. So it's. Um, ah, but if you buy some uh, Micron and some software AG <laughs> from uh, Germany, then you combine I, them with Microsoft. Add them together. Yeah, I seen your tweet this morning. It was quite, quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> now well done there it's really nice to to see your performance and um i also noticed that you are able to contribute more and more cash has this to do with your savings rate um here um so as as i bump up and work i just yeah i, I throw it in here and you know what i was holding some back i've noticed last year i was holding some back when i was doing option trading so yeah. I don't have that restriction anymore, so I can freely invest invest that in. So okay. um, that's fine. So I'm at about fifteen hundred a month. I'm hoping yeah. next year to get that to seventeen fifty, and then two thousand, yeah. and, and so on and so on. 
But but I think that's something that we don't speak a lot about, but it's so important in the beginning of your investing career, the savings rate matters so much because you get more uh, money added to your portfolio via your savings rate than, than via dividends. For me, it starts to change now a little bit that my dividends really are meaningful. And actually for you this quarter as well, as I can see. Um, but I think doing your best at work, getting that promotion or getting this uh, pay raise and being able to avoid lifestyle inflation is probably the best wealth hack there exists in the first six, seven years of your journey, at least when doing dividend investing. I think uh, it's maybe not often spoken about, but that's really what's giving most of our performances, right? It's our yeah. salary increases and being able to um, prevent uh, our lifestyle infl uh, inflation on the expenses. Yeah, yeah, and I know we're quite similar in that respect because I, I, I don't know how many times we spoke even before podcast, we didn't have a chance to to do anything because we're always working late and we're so busy. And and but I, I do agree with that. I think focusing on your work um, is super important. Getting yourself into a position where you can make meaningful contributions, and that will only happen as you get better and better in your work, more respected, and earn more money. So my primary focus is always my work until I get to a point where I don't need to anymore. Um, but until that day happens, work comes first. So uh, we've been on calls and I've had to stop and, and go into work and stuff. So that's just a sacrifice you have to make. But on the plus side, I can see the benefits of those increased contributions. It's only an extra 250 a month, but that's every matters. every matters. every four yeah. months. That's a, that's the same as a thousand, which is what I started at at the very beginning. So it's 3000 a year. Yeah, three thousand a year. Yeah. yeah, good, good, good. So hey, uh, well done. Let's uh, let's see how quarter three will do this these summer months. I'm already looking forward to it. But let's also quickly touch few on a few of the earnings uh, before we go to the listeners' questions. Is there any earnings that you wanted to chat about? Yeah, of course. ABB is a company I, I speak about quite highly. It's a company I own a small amount in the trading two one two pie. Um, always seem overvalued, but they released their earnings for half year this week, and they did actually okay. Their orders was around six, or sorry, eight point six billion. Um, obviously they had a huge backlog, we know, and they're starting to release that backlog, so that's helping with the orders and, and the revenue. Um, their forward orders has gone down slightly, but there's a lot of weakness, as everyone knows, in Asia, particularly China. So that has impacted them slightly. Um, it's not overly concerning given the orders backlog that they still have, so they're still able to, to keep up with that. Um, but just be aware that the China slowdown and, and all that is, is contributing to that. Um, I have to say, it's, it's as I pretty much expected, it's not as strong as last quarter. Um, but overall, the half year has, has been pretty strong from the company. What I like to see is that their cash flow is now positive. It was negative last year. Um, and the impact that that had was that they had to take out some debt to pay their dividends and, and buy back shares. Um, so it's nice to see back cash flow positive. But that's just one thing. And I think I mentioned that the last time is to be aware of is that they were cash flow negative and they did have to borrow to pay that dividend. And that's something yeah. I don't like to see. And it's something that I... I need to monitor over a longer period to make sure it's worth investing before investing them. But um, to say going forward, I'm not too concerned about that. They shouldn't have the same impact as what they had last year. They're starting to re get through those orders quite quickly now. So the cash flow should improve. Um, 
They are also quite active in their acquisitions and divestments. They are working more towards electrification and motion, which we spoke before. And you can see that in their in their acquisitions, they bought a company from Siemens, they bought EV systems, and they bought three other electrification businesses while also divesting their process consultancy business as well. So they're trying to move away from process automation and more so into electrification, which I believe is the, the right move to make. Um, but I think I think overall it's it's quite positive. Um it's it it's not blowing us away, but it's it's not bad either. It's yeah but what I find surprising, right? Because we both have in, in my past and, and you maybe more recently still experience with ABB products. Yes. And for me they were always top notch, but then we have now been looking at ABB for three years. And I just don't see it. I don't just see it floating into the into the balance sheet. And and that's that's the awkward thing for me with Airbnb. The that the products seem to be really good, but then the business itself, there is something wrong there for me. When I hear you talking about cash flow negative last quarter, and and now a little bit above, yeah, that is optimistic. But there is something there that that, that just just I don't know why why the business is not able to. To spit out more cash i don't understand it so, so the only thing i would say there is that all this moving into electrification if you look at even at europe as a whole they're talking about reducing carbon emissions improving the particularly in ireland but all of europe improving the electrical system all that is giving a date by 2030 that's always the date that has been giving so i think that's the date everybody's kind of aiming for to reduce carbon emissions to have smart grids and all this i think a company like ABB are spotting this, they're seeing this, and they are moving more into electrification for that reason. It's it's not now, it's not straight away. We still don't even have enough electric cars, even the system to facilitate that throughout Europe. So I think it is more of a forward-looking project rather than now. Um, I think what they have now is like a steady baseline, but to move in, into the future, I honestly think electri electrification and motion are the two that they should be focusing on. And they seem to be doing that. So I, I'm actually quite happy. I'm, I'm happy if they stay steady over the next few years. But if I'm sitting here in three years' time and I don't see it starting to creep into the balance sheet, I will probably have a little bit more negative view yeah. like yourself. So yeah, 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 because I'm comparing this to Siemens. I know we cannot compare them one-on-one -on -one with everything in their business lines. But then yeah. I look at Siemens, who's also looking at uh, all of this, like wind power, electric, the trams, everything, and then the public transport. And I think like they're hitting it. Yeah, they're, they're doing it much better, in my opinion. At least they seem to have more momentum and it seems to translate also into their uh, income statement. Yeah, I, I'd agree. But I think Siemens probably have more pricing power and brand power when it comes to that side of it, particularly with renewable energy. ABB, you remember ABB, they came from Transformers. And a lot yeah, of people yeah, still, yeah. before we even did the show, I kept thinking they were still transformers yeah. and even still in process control like plcs um so it is a bit of a shift in terms of mm -hmm. what they're doing and people probably have to move with that um yeah. with that but i honestly if it was siemens or abb i'm siemens all later yeah yeah same here good 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 well uh thanks for the recap maybe then i want to pick one out and it's actually nice we have only european companies here except for johnson johnson in the beginning but um this one that I want to talk about was Novartis because I owned Novartis for two years or something like that and I sold it because the stock was going nowhere. And if you look now at what no Novartis did, it I mean, they grew their sales by 7% and their earnings per share by 17%. They had a small free cash flow decline then. 
but the top selling drug Anestra uh, uh, grew at 35%. And I was uh, I was a little bit surprised with this one because you know I in the beginning when I my thesis when I bought uh, Novartis I thought like oh you know um, data science getting more and more important to discover drugs and uh, the company started investing in it. The CEO really spoke the language that I liked. Then after two years, three years, I, I just saw nothing happening. I just saw it wasn't working what he wanted. Yeah, and now suddenly with the new medicines, it started to pick up. So maybe it was too early with selling. Who knows? Uh, but the company is actually having pretty good numbers um, uh, right now. So it surprised me, I must uh, confess. Yeah. And um, what what was really nice is that this innovative medicines division that grew by nine percent, which is a lot, seven uh, percent uh, in constant currency. Um, and yeah, they also initiated now an up to fifteen billion share buyback, so they're really confident uh, themselves, and they want to complete it by the end of twenty twenty five. So that's like two and a half years. Uh, uh, for now, which is approximately six percent of their entire share count, which is a lot. Yep. Um, and yeah, if you look at it there, and, and Tresto, um, and then the other one, Casimta, uh, that they are just growing really rapidly at the moment. So they have a few drugs that are really on fire, while the other drugs that are in the top um, top top percentiles of their sales are kind of flat or are still growing by 10 percent or something like that. So overall. They had a really strong quarter year over year. Now, on top of that, was probably uh, when people are interested in Novartis, just know that they are, um, uh, I said, aiming and, and intending to spin off Sandos, which is um, their generics business and biosimilar business. So they will uh, list it on the Swiss stock exchange and also create an ADR uh, for people that are interested in there. And this will be a spin off, not a split off. So, so people will, <laughs> I assume, get those shares. Um, but this was good for Novartis, and, and maybe this strategy is coming a bit to fru fruition. I mean, of course, we have the 35% uh, dividend tax here. Uh, they don't have the Roche ownership uh, stake anymore, so maybe their portfolio decisions that they have been doing are finally coming a bit to fruition. Yeah. And maybe they are becoming finally a more focused company. I mean, on social media, we have some people that consider themselves insiders or call themselves insiders. And and this is what I generally know about Novartis is that they have really an issue with employees, uh, low morale. Uh, I, I, I often sense that there. So I don't know. Um, um, you know, I don't know if these numbers are also a result of, for instance, cost cutting, severe cost cutting and such. So. Uh, but overall, bottom line, if you just look at the numbers, um, yeah, they had a really strong quarter and really surprised me. So kudos to Novartis, I must say. Yeah, nice one. And, and like you, it is quite surprising to see that they've kind of been, not a dead horse, but kind of flat for, for quite a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've discussed them before on the show, right? And it yeah. was a bit same old, same old. So Yeah. Yeah, good. so that's really good. And then maybe a next one that I, I I mean, this is a stock that I really dream about owning, and that's the locksmith of the world, Asa Abloy. I mean, they grew their sales by 17%. Um, of course, the, the, they acquired HHI for, I think, three, four billion in, um, uh, I believe, euros or dollars. So the debt went a bit up, but it's still really in a good good range. And this is also within the sales numbers. So six percent of comes comes with, I believe, but three percent organic sales. 
And and if you just look at this company, also their margins increased from fifteen percent to sixteen, seventeen percent. It's one of those strong compounders. Well, you know, if we get a global recession, if if the real estate market is really hit hard, you would expect to see it already in the numbers here. So they're still able to grow three percent organic, while the office read space is really in trouble yeah, yeah uh, all around uh, specifically europe but also more in the world so they're still able to grow sales um but if there will be really a recession i i do expect it to be impacted if the real estate market of course um, holds back their investments but yeah asa abloy I, I i i love everything about this company i i, I just the pricing just the yeah. pricing it is just just the pricing and i'm going to talk about a company in the same reason region which i also think is a quality company which is evolution ab i remember we spoke about them on this yeah. on the show the gaming um online gaming operator um at the time we both said quality company definitely an area you should probably invest in but the dividend yield is quite low sub two percent at at the time but man look at the numbers they these guys turn out their operating revenues increased 28.2 percent to 44.1 million their ebitda increased by 30.8 percent and our earnings per share increased to 124 up from 94 cent um the numbers are pretty pretty good their profit margin it hovers around 60 percent as well and what i like about them actually is that they are also launching in latin america as well i think that's that's mm. incredible i think that's a huge market to go into yeah well for me it's this, uh, a company that i didn't hear uh, about because I'm generally not uh, following casinos and such. So that's why I don't own Vici as well. I don't understand it so much. But it's kind of also proud, right, to have a Scandinavian company uh, doing so well and, and really, really, yeah, ma ma making a lot of uh, headway out of this. It's yeah, really nice to see, actually. I mean, if you if you scroll down, they have they have lots of blurb there. What what they say is right in Europe, the demand for new tables exceeds their current delivery capacity. Um, so wow. the demand the demand that they're getting, they can't actually keep up with it. So now they have a backlog of orders to keep up with the tables that they need. On top of just on top wow. of a thirty percent increase as well. So the demand is there. Um, they just need to to make sure that they can deliver that as well. Otherwise, wow. a, a competitor could come in, but. I mean, it's. It, I think this is a quality company. I, I would love to own it. It's just the dividend yield is is really really low. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe maybe we still need to look at the one time. You know, sometimes like thinking buy some legal in general, and then a bit of e evolution, and you have a nice uh, average yield, and you you benefit from both growth and 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 yields yeah. uh, in your investment, right? Something nice. something definitely to to consider. Yeah. Good. 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 So these were the some of the earnings results that caught our attention. Of course, we will get still some really great uh, earnings upcoming in the next few weeks. But uh, yeah, let's start with some of the listeners' questions. Yeah, let's let's start with the first one. So DevSlute asked us about letting your winners run. I know you wrote a blog post on this. Um, so maybe there'll be a discussion, a little bit of a discussion on what do you mean? What do you mean by letting your winners run? Yes, I, in my blog post, I made an uh, argument that generally what I learned is to let your winners run. And I use Microsoft as an example because the CEO um, in, a, in leaked court documents 
um, um, came forward that they are having a target of 500 billion in revenue in by 2030, and they are now making 200 billion in revenue. So there's still two and a half times more. So I did effectively, I, I did the math that even at the $360 share price, uh, at a 40 multiple right now, if you let this company uh, just grow, you will still net about nine to ten percent annually in share price. Because if you take uh, five hundred billion and you use the same margins, uh, profit margins around thirty percent that they um, uh, have now, and you would do that at a multiple of thirty, and even if you take also some share buybacks into consideration, what they are doing one percent a year, you will still this will go to 675 at the 30 p and i think a 30 pe with such growth numbers that is growing like 13 percent in revenue or something like that each year i think is valid because we're talking about high growth now the question is can it continue like this for seven years yeah and this will also mention like i believe they can because such an adela so far everything it touches turns into gold the flywheel if you if, if the concept the flywheel right what amazon uh, uh also made really popular was like you build something and based on that you can sell many many other stuff as well um they, they have multiple flywheels with azure whatever it is now it's ai that they can integrate into linkedin to into office uh, uh every so they have multiple flywheels and all they're spitting out cash like hell yeah so for me it's a clear sign of like let your winners run yeah, if you look at the multiple now 40, it's too expensive. If I would uh, make a case, I wouldn't invest today. Yeah. Yeah. But the question is for me is then should you sell now? And and for instance, do a yield play. Okay, take this, what is it, one percent yield and exchange it for a three percent yield and, and get three times more dividend income. And here I, uh, I I would make a case, I don't do it. I let my winners run. I did this once with McDonald's, I sold it, um, and the price went up still two, three times from where it was there because I thought it was overvalued. I think if you are a value investor, you you, you might want to do that because you look at overvaluation, undervaluation and such. But this company is so on fire, and that's why I mean let your winners run. If it's not a winner anymore, we have a different discussion. If it's someone, if it's a company that became mediocre or became a loser, then then we're talking about something else. But we're talking here about a winner dominating every industry they're operating in. So for me, it's it's like let it run, let it run. It it should in theory be easier for dividend growth investors because you sh we do everyone does because everyone reacts to the price. But you should not really be looking at the share price. So if you can if you could block that out and just focus on the results and if you never looked at the share price you would you would never sell that company right so it should yeah correct because i expect also uh still 10 percent at least dividend growth annually like it has been doing so if it does that in the next seven years i will double my dividend income from microsoft but but what what the interesting thing here is uh, derek i think like you look at your portfolio you see that you have a lot of cash in a, in a single stock it's my second position but it's contributing one of the lowest yeah let's say the number 20 uh, or number 30 so you think like you know what if i sell this stuff i can triple quadruple my dividend income from this holding straight away yeah uh, of course there are tax implications because mine went up like uh, almost 10 times uh, or let's say eight times so i would have a lot of cash to send to the tax office which i also don't want to do um but I think this is really, really, um, I said, this, this, if you're cash hungry, which we are, 
it's really uh, screwing your mind yeah and that's why i wrote this article because after the run-up in microsoft i i spot myself again thinking this and felt like oh probably many others are thinking this as well but i need to let my winners run yeah nice one um Yaris has asked us, do you guys take inflation into account when projecting your monthly dividend income to become financially free? Uh, yes, I do that. Uh, I've got this uh, retirement uh, calculated template on my blog, and there you just plug in the numbers for um, for inflation. And I think I used the number back in 2014 of 3% on average. Of course, last year was much more. Um, so that's why I also adjusted my uh my target um, uh, my target dividend income for that reason uh, i mentioned that in the annual report that i wrote so yeah i do that because you need to look at the real interest right which is your dividend yield minus inflation uh, effectively or dividend growth minus inflation and you've got your real purchasing power growth yeah um no i haven't yet i've kept my target the same um and i'll see how i go until i reach that target but when i get there I'll see what the cost of living is at that point, and then I might have to have to adjust it. It just keeps me, uh, yeah. uh, because if I keep adjusting my target, and I might see say my goal is ten percent, then I adjust it and it goes down to eight. Yeah. That would that would wreck my head. So, uh, I mean, I know my target, uh, but what I'm trying to say my target is calculated using inflation, taking inflation into account. That that's yeah. what I want to uh, mention. Uh, and I only adjusted it now once in the last eight years, and that was because last year's inflation numbers were something was unforeseen. And if I would continue at the end, I would just do myself short later. So that's why. Yeah. Um, Michael has asked us, how much dry powder do you keep as a percentage of your portfolio? None. I, I still have some a little bit of dry powder in general for my bonus, uh, but. I'm, I'm i try to be fully invested as much as i can yeah mine's sitting and at you? about five percent at the moment mine's sitting at not not intentionally it's just it's just sitting there um, yeah so uh joshua i said welcome back what's the longest holding in each of your portfolios how long and what has its performance been in terms of capital appreciation and dividends oh let me quickly look that up for him and that is chevron is the is the longest holding <laughs> a really small holding i bought them at 128 dollars uh, per share in september 2014 and i don't know what is it trading at now uh, chevron let me check it's now uh, I, I don't know i need to check um, what it's trading at but yeah it was at 128 dollars per share i see it's now 156 58 dollars per share so not a lot of uh, compounding happened there if you look at it like that but if i look at the dividends um that's actually been paying me quite a lot and in dividend terms it has yeah my investment has been paid back by 30 percent uh, uh, via dividends over that time so but that was of course an oil company um unilever is one that i also own very long already yeah how about you Nice. Um, Glambia was my longest holding. It's one of my first companies I've bought. Um, it's still trading around, so not much in capital appreciation, but like you, I've made 22.7% back from dividends on that company. So not not yeah. too bad. It's still a small yeah. position, relatively small yeah. position. But yeah, it's it's my longest, longest holding. My first company that I bought was Waco, followed by mm -hmm. Red Electrica, but I, I don't own those two anymore. And Glambia yeah. was the third. Yeah, nice. 
Um, Huron asked us a few months ago. I saw somebody buying one share of Pepsi per week. That's probably Russ from Dapper Dividends. Yeah. yeah. Um, what stock would you like to do this with, which could financially be affordable, i.e., not Berkshire Hathaway? Okay, so if I wanted to do it, I would do a stock that I really would love to own and maybe are less scared about the valuation um, here, just as a token of appreciation to that stock. And I think I would do that with a company like Nike. Yeah, I would pick somebody like Texas Instruments would be mm, also a good one. Yeah. 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 Um, Kevin has asked us, there's plenty of US mortgage REITs paying decent, stable, double digit dividends. Um, he's given some examples, AGNC, Armour Residential and so on. They've got decent track records and stable dividend growth. I have been accumulating these, but notice these types of stock is not mentioned in the group or podcast. Any thoughts on mortgage REITs? Uh, yeah, it's not my circle of competence, uh, Kevin. I just don't understand enough about it and I've never taken the time to study them. So that's why I'm shying away from it. Um, but Kevin, if you have any any information where you say like, guys, you got to read this, post it on the group for us, on the Facebook group, because um, yeah, uh, I don't mind spending half an hour or an hour one time reading about it to them really judge is this too hard on the too hard pile for me or not yeah 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 but but exactly that we don't want to give false information on on the show either so it's it's something that i've haven't dug into I've, I've i've read some of the names that you mentioned purely because their dividend as you said is is high yielding but that's not a, enough reason to invest in these types of companies so um like, actually like, to the contrary if i see 15 percent, i already think like okay let it go don't touch yeah. it uh, must be something wrong yeah, yeah, but that could be typical for these types of stocks. I don't know. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we just we just let them be. But yeah, would love to hear our resources or what? How how would you reckon we should learn about these? Is probably the best question to ask. Yeah. Um, CIP um, has asked us: Have you dividend? E how have dividend ETF performed versus your portfolios? Uh, I, I cannot I cannot compare that because with a dividend ETF you buy a basket of stocks at all all those stocks at the same time and we don't do that we accumulate stocks over time we mentioned that we have been buying some insurance stocks more lately and then other time this so I, there's no way I can compare myself to a dividend ETF I, I wouldn't know how to so but that's also the reason why i don't invest in dividend ETFs because I believe that there are always some stocks in that ETF that are that i would like to own at that price at that moment in time but the others not so i I'm, that's why i'm in more in favor of stock picking uh, although i believe that if there was a decent uh, etf available to me i would like to have it as a core for instance what i'm what i started doing now because you know we don't really have access to this uh, schd but i started uh, selling a put option on that in the hope it gets triggered one day Still, I don't know what it really means, whether interactive brokers will later or regulation will kick in and later force me to sell it again. I don't know. But that's that's an ETF that I would love to have as a foundation in my portfolio because I studied the ETF and I like the strategy of the ETF um, and, and how it's set up. I, I think it's a good strategy. Yeah. And just on the um, interactive brokers regulation, from my experience, I had some US closed-end funds um, when they 
finally triggered and said we're not allowed to have them because they don't have a KIID. They didn't force me to sell, but I was just not allowed buy anymore. So I, okay. I, st I still own one or two because the share price has dropped a little bit and I don't want to sell them at a loss because I know yeah. they'll come back. But they, they didn't force me to to sell it. But okay. yeah, Good. Uh, but I agree with you. It's too hard. How, how do you compare? Do you compare dividend growth? Do you compare dividend growth and appreciation? I, I don't know. Um, we spent, I think, an episode of, uh, talking about this before. Um, I don't like to compare myself against the market or against what anybody else is doing because it would make me make stupid decisions. I might yeah, chase we them. compare against our goals. Yes. What is our projected annual dividend income for this year? Yeah. Did we achieve that, yes or no? And how much cash did it cost us to get there? Yeah. Yeah, that's really what we compare it to. Yeah, exactly. Um, Alexander has asked us, do you always sell if a position gets too big? No. Yeah, I, think I think we just had the whole discussion yeah, about let yeah. your witness run. No. Um, uh, but but it's probably good to mention, he says here about this tier, um, tier the four tiers that I have, like 1%, 2 3%, 4%, 4%. Um, so, so I understand where the question comes from. Yeah, and I more look at the tiers uh, even at dividend income compared to maybe share price. It's yeah. usually a function of both, but sometimes you just let them be 5% or something like that. But it's about the dividend cut that I look at. Um, we have a question from Carlos. You can see that I'm smiling because I've just read this question for the first time. Um, a bit of a fun question for you lads. If, and it's a crazy if, if aliens were announced as real by the CIA or some other authority, do you think it would shake the market and in what way? <laughs> <laughs> well actually i know there are some theories now and it's on youtube it went viral of a guy that came forward i think from the cia or something like that that mentioned that these these that ufos and such exist and they done and, and now there's this complot so I, I saw something popping up on my timeline um but uh i like it i mean um yeah it might shake up the i mean if we get a mars attack like in the movie then yes but, uh, but first of all why would the cia announce it yeah they would only do it when it's when it's like happening tomorrow that we that we get invaded yeah you know if this is a global war war i think still what what overtime has proven being invested in companies and stocks is one of the best wealth protector during a war so you know i just don't know if they with one one press on the button can wipe out whole society <laughs> but in that case we shouldn't worry anyway uh, yeah uh, so so i was looking at it from three angles so i'm thinking okay if they come here peacefully okay yeah. for, for no reason just to come and mingle yeah. probably not going to have a big impact on the market because nobody's going to care well I, i'm long uh, uh bhp billeton because i would only expect they would come for resources mining yeah. because yeah. that's why we we but that's why countries usually invade also other countries yeah yeah <laughs> um so but if if they come with us to invade okay yeah the, the fact that they've made it to us before we've ever met them they're probably going to be superior to us in terms of armory and ships and guns and yeah. everything else we probably won't have to worry about the stock market because it'll be gone <laughs> it'll be gone yeah. or if they come and they want money and they have that technology available they could probably with a press of a button do something with the stock market short all the stocks yeah. take all the money and, and leave so yeah i think <laughs> i think in two of the three scenarios aliens would have a big impact on, but on that's even so i think we wouldn't probably understand most of it because think about this i believe that dna wise we only differ two percent from a monkey 
exactly. Yeah, but how much consciousness has a monkey? We don't know. How much intelligence has a monkey? We know a little bit about that. But does a monkey understand what we are doing as humans? Probably not. Yeah. Now imagine that aliens would also have some form of DNA and are like five percent smarter than us. We probably can't keep up with them, even intelligent uh, wise. So, well, we'd be so screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we would probably even not know sometimes that we would yeah. be so screwed, like a monkey. Yeah, they, they, they'd probably come down and look at our portfolios and run off and say, "Ah, they're too stupid. I'm not, I'm not taking their money." <laughs> <laughs> let let, they, them, let them be. We would be like fish in the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> we, we we just harvest them from time to time and eat them, and that's it. <laughs> Oh, I love these questions. Um, Hussein has asked us, um, Hi all, I asked this before, but it was missed. How do you feel to have all your investment and future money in online broker? Do you see any risk to have all the future income in an app without a representative office in your country? Uh, well, I experienced this once actually because uh, a family member died and they were using uh, here in Poland a, a broker service. Uh, but the headquarters was in Greece, and we got we had an issue there because uh, the person didn't put any relatives uh, in the in the information as who, who who also let's say who is married to as an example. So we had to threaten with the police. But where do you see the where do you send the police to? <laughs> so so this was really an issue. In the end, we got our money um, money back, but um, this was really 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 hard so there's a there's definitely a point uh, made here and i have almost all my wealth from stocks in in the hero which is now flatex in germany plus um uh, interactive brokers which is the us which are foreign companies they have their entities also uh, elsewhere in europe right but it is an issue um but i'm generally not too much afraid of it because of european regulation yeah. i do feel protected enough does a local bank make it any safer look what happened no, in no look what no. happened in the us just recently at the start of the year we had a couple of banks collapse and people could not take out their money so you you might feel a little bit safer but mm -hmm. are you actually safer i don't know i think if yeah. if a bank is going to collapse whether it's local or online i think yeah i think you're screwed either way that's true um question from ron our good old friend ron who's financially free may i add um i think he's asked this before but he's asked us how do you decide if you want to keep a subsidiary within a new merged company post merger yeah so this is all about uh mergers right yeah um so and for instance dsm is a good example um uh, of this one for me it really decides uh, really so it's about decision right uh, yeah. to keep your subsidiary when uh, with a new merge company it depends on whether i like the acquirer what is that kind of company uh, what is the track records uh, of acquisition is it a company that i like to own in my portfolio those are really the comp questions that i ask myself at the same time i can also do a valuation because um i've got somewhere personally i've got a, a kind of a cash flow template where you can put the acquisition details in and you can see like you know is there uh, what what should be the fair price afterwards so if yeah. you think from a valuation point of view i i can also look at that 
Um, but then the second follow-up question is, if you don't want to keep the new merged company, do you hold until the merger to sell, or do you sell once the price reaches the transaction price? I would wait until it reaches the transaction price, unless it's already trading one year before, let's say, or nine months before, like already at a 98%, then I would just sell it because the additional 2% is not worth waiting. But yeah. generally, I, I would wait. A bit like Activision and Microsoft, yeah, yeah, yeah. for example. Yeah. Um, okay, no, that's the good questions. Um, we still have a couple more, so we'll try to get through these. Yeah. Um, Boris has asked us, um, hello, guys, probably related to you, actually. Could you please give us an opinion regarding Cebus Nordic? Yeah, actually, um, I went also into the earnings call and I also asked a question there to the CEO um, here, and it was fun. Uh, I could you could just ask a written question to the webcast before it, but look, generally, I found their numbers quite good, um, and and especially also if you listen to the earnings call, what I really like what they have done over the last quarter, they have worked on their balance sheet. So they bought back bonds in the last quarter that were due in September and I believe even uh, early next year. They've been doing this so that they can avoid already some of the interest payments because they issued shares during the quarter to, 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 to do this. So they've been really cleaning up the balance sheet and they've been hatching their interest rates uh, until I think almost 2025. Yeah, so over the next one and a half year, let's say, they have kind of secured um their cash flow from that point of view uh, there were also questions about that to the cfo and the cfo also mentioned it like if the rates would grow still like with so many percent then this would be the additional impact to our interest rates right but those were really extreme cases which might happen we don't know what will happen going forward so what this gave me was a feeling that this management team is really on top of it it knows what they're doing it knows where their issue is uh, at the moment the real estate market for them with debt they also what was really interesting they wanted to buy back all the bonds but not all companies wanted to do that so they still wanted to get the interest payments so they feel i assume safe enough that their principal will be paid back so that was that yeah. i think these are also good signals in general now because of the share issue their earnings power of the uh, uh, earnings per share let's say uh, as a company dropped to 91%, uh, 91 cents and they have a dividend annual dividend of 90 cents so it's really touching almost full payout um, the company was also challenged a little bit on this I think they feel confident but of course under under certain circumstances we're not talking here about if now the market totally gets a collapse I think then we will see a dividend cut but if it continues to be like this I think we should be fine so that's my that that's my uh, uh, conclusion from the earnings call. Good. Um, Tim has asked us our opinions on three companies: Linde, Air Products, and Air Liquide. Um, what I would suggest, actually, three quality companies. We talk about quality companies in Europe. There are probably three of them that you would put there. But I think the client capitalist, who is a guest on our show, knows these companies inside out. I think he has a blog post on them, and pretty sure he has them on all three. But he's quite knowledgeable on all these three companies i would highly suggest reaching out to him maybe on his blog send him a comment he's always writing back and he will give you a, a much better answer than than i could um carlos has asked us what are our thoughts on money market funds like csh2 
Yeah, I, I, I never invested in them. I'm, I'm not familiar with it uh, enough to, to give a meaningful answer, Derek. Um, okay, um, Tom has asked us, any thoughts on UKW? Um, UKW is, uh, that's their ticker symbol, it's actually Green Coat Renewables. And they're a UK, um, a UK pretty much renewable energy company. If you look at their portfolio, they cover pretty much the whole of the UK and Northern Ireland. They've got a pretty big portfolio and they generate um, 1,132 megawatts of electricity, which is quite big from renewable energy, um, I have to say. Um, I do own them in my portfolio. I, I, they are my, I would you say, they are my way into the renewable energy sector. We talked about Shell, how can they do it and be profitable? But this company, they have a big, huge portfolio already and they seem to be profitable. They have a 6% dividend yield. But what I do like is they have a commitment and they make this commitment to increase their dividends in, in line with the CPI, which is inflation. So they increase it with inflation. Um, and they've done that every single year since inception. Um, I listened wow. to another podcast called Money Makers. If you're mm -hmm. interested in UK companies, particularly closed-end funds like like these guys, um, it's a great podcast. I've listened to some of the fund managers on that podcast from Green Coast. Very intelligent, very clear. Their goals are clear, and I'm aligned with pretty much everything they do. So I think it's a I think it's an awesome company, um, or a fund, awesome fund. And um, as I said, it's a small part of my portfolio, um, but I would have no problem adding more so. Um, and then the last question is from David, and he's asked us, can we do a review and give your thoughts on Gladstone Investment? Um, honestly, we, we took these questions in just before the show. It's not enough time for us to do a review. I'm not. I've heard of the company. Um, I know it's a BDC. I know it has a decent dividend yield, um, but I don't know enough about the company to do a review in about two minutes um, from them. But I know Dividend Bull, I think it is on YouTube, loves these types of companies and mentioned these a lot. So I, I would recommend checking that guy out awesome that's the end of the show i would say right yeah, yeah it's jam-packed jam-packed we did say it was jam-packed yeah but it's awesome i mean the community continues to be engaged i love it and it just make made me also look forward again to our first episode after the after the summer break yeah i mean thanks again derek as always and thanks to you and for all our listeners again apologies for last week and we see you all next week. Remember, both of us at Dividend Talk are not certified financial specialists through formal education. We are just two guys sharing our journey for inspiration and entertainment purposes. Hence, this is not investment advice. Although we do our best, we can promise that the information discussed is always correct, nor appropriate for you or anybody else. We always recommend that you do your own due diligence and be accountable for your own choices. As we always say, you can't borrow conviction from others. Last but not least, by listening to our podcast, you agree to hold us harmless from any ramifications, financial or otherwise, that occur to you as a result of acting on information provided in this podcast.